I said to Brother Brisbane, if you'll start a church, we'll back you all the way. And uh, so that's how it began. It began over on Silver Avenue, standing in that small little living room. That's where the first meeting took place. There was uh, six adults and five children. We looked for a place to buy. We found the uh, Dubose property. We remodeled the front of the building, made it look like a church. When we were full, we held about nearly 100 people. Yeah, it was... That's why we had to uh, we started looking for looking, another place. Looking for something else because we were outgrowing it. We bought the place on 17th, 17th Street around 62. We had uh, 70 people. Well, we just looked like a few peas in a pod. Rattling around yeah. loose. <laughs> we, we prayed for God to fill it up. They only heard people come in and say, someday God's going to fill the seats in that balcony, but it, all those seats had dust on them. This was a true labor of love. There was a mortgage to pay. They took a giant leap of faith. They jumped into something, a building, that we're presently in. We were able to turn a debt-free church over to the young people. In 1988, my grandfather passed away. In 1989, I was appointed to fill my grandfather's position. So at 25, I was now responsible to sort of lead the church. We did do a number of things to begin to change the overall culture and philosophy of the church. You don't think about the, the years of, of struggle and small crowds and paying off a building. You don't think of that. You think about what God is doing right now. Isn't that great? I mean, wow. Uh, they're, they're in about, ooh, about five minutes. They'll be starting up the service over there at the Merced campus. And uh, that's the, the big opening that we've been praying for, believing for, working towards. Everybody's been rallying together. And it really is a special moment. Uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, the, it's, it would be no uh, exaggeration to say that it's God's grace that has given us the opportunity to be able to, to grow. It's not about numbers. It's about people's lives being touched and about being um, willing to use whatever gifts God entrusts us with to be a blessing. And um, you know, we often talk about how, how much courage it takes to, to take the message of Jesus across the seas to continents. And, and we respect so much people who feel called to foreign lands to share the good news of Jesus. But there's also a sense that our city needs Jesus too. 
And there are many people who come to this city, some of whom are running away from God, some of whom are prodigals, who people back home are praying for all the time to come back home, some of whom don't know anything about Jesus, and whatever they know about the church, it's a bad opinion. And into this environment, we get the privilege of being part of um, the expression of God's grace and the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the step that is being taken um, right now um, that is happening simultaneously with what we're doing right now uh, is a step that is designed to honor the entrustment that we've been given to share the good news of Jesus and to believe that people's lives, families, uh, some children and people, uh, children not yet born, people not yet touched, are going to be affected and impacted because we as a community were willing to step out and risk. And people have been praying, people have been giving, people have been standing up to serve here on the Mission Campus. Tons of people volunteering right now. There are a group of people getting, going through the connection classes also at, across the way at the Dorland Street area, taking that class to, to jump into community life. I mean, there are so many ministries. I'm just saying, God is doing a lot of really special things among us, and we need to honor that and say thank you for that. And, we, and, and so that's what we're doing. You know, we're just saying, thank you, Lord. And then the other thing that cracked me up when I was watching the uh, video was um, listening to the, the couple, Melvin and Ellen Johnson, who were here from the beginning, and they were finishing each other's sentences. That was classic to me. So it happens when you're married for 50 years. You start, it was just really fun. And um, it's great to have that, that uh, in fact, they were here last night, a Saturday night service, and, and it was just the, the sense of generational connection, how special this is. I know a lot of us, most of us are pretty new to the church, and that's okay, that's a good thing, because it's not about just what was. It's about what God wants to do still. It's true in our own lives. But at the same time, it's important every now and then to acknowledge what has been. Because none of us build uh, on our own. We're all, we're all a part of someone else's building. Uh, not a one of us here ever comes to Christ, uh, never grows in life without someone else pouring into us. And it's what we've been given as a gift. And even now, there might be people that are coming to our minds that God has used already in our lives to help us grow and to develop and to expand and get better. And in fact, everything that we've been talking about in these opening weeks of the year has to do with growth. We've been talking about growth transitions. And uh, we're going to continue that discussion in a moment. But I, I just wanted to be able to just say also one small final thing, and that is to all, all the people who uh, are in this church, what a, what a privilege it is to serve together, uh, to do ministry together, to reach people together. Um, it's a significant blessing. And so um, I'm going to pray and ask God to just uh, bless this moment that we have left. And Lord, I thank you for all the wonderful people who make up a church community. And I thank you for all the people who've labored in love for your ways um, before us. We just want to be part of an honest expression of, of love for you in this city and its surrounding communities. We just want to be part of the light, express the goodness of God. And I pray that you would stir up a passion in us, Lord, to each one of us individually to be extensions of your grace in all the areas of our lives, to not be ashamed of you, um, to, to not back away, but in, in, with courage to speak loving words but good words. And I just pray that you keep growing us, God. 
and help us experience the life in you that you want to give. So I pray for your blessing over this word. I'm so grateful, so thankful, um, looking forward to this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, God. So um, the message is focusing on the specific connections of the last couple of weeks, which has been on the, that growth transition in the life of Jesus that occurred when he was 12 years old. And we've been focusing on that you know, incident where at 12, Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, came to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and how on their way back, uh, a day's journey in, at the end of the day, they realized they had lost Jesus. And we, we had a lot of fun with that. We thought it was humorous and somewhat ironic that, that they lost him. And, and we, we spent time you know, talking about what that must have felt like. And so we're going to pick back up with that passage in the scripture. And then we're going to draw some additional piece out of it. I mean, what I want to talk about specifically this morning is the Father's business. And what I ask every one of us to think about is, what is the Father's business for you and me? And so for this to work, it's got to go personal. It's got to go personal. But I want to start by looking at the passage itself. And uh, let's just jump in at Luke 2, verse 41. It says, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And I think we understand the Passover feast was the feast that was celebrated by Israel um, when they were delivered out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. If you recall, the reason it's called Passover is because that the Lord told the people to put, to put the blood of a lamb on their doorposts and that de- the death would pass over them. And from that point on, and that becomes the occasion for finally causing Pharaoh to let God's people go. And from that period on, they had celebrated in, in accordance with the command of God to remember that moment of your deliverance. So here's the beautiful piece of this. The one whose deliverance that Passover actually anticipated the ultimate deliverance. The one who would be the deliverer that that Passover feast anticipates is coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so that's sort of the backdrop of what we're seeing here. It says his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And and Joseph and his mother didn't know it. That's what we were talking about. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. And then they sought him among the relatives and the acquaintances. But they didn't find him. So here they are, a day's journey towards Nazareth in the Galilee from Jerusalem. And they get a, at the end of the day, they realize Jesus isn't with them. We talked about why that could have happened and some of the nuances of that. But they decide, we've got to go back to Jerusalem. So the entire next day, day two, they travel back, retrace their steps, get back to Jerusalem. It's nightfall. At nightfall, they can't find him. So they have to wait to the third day to go find out where he is. They don't know where he is. Well, This is what happens. It says that uh, now so it was, verse 46, that after three days they found him in the temple. And there he was, sitting in the midst of the teachers. He was both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were just astonished, stunned, uh, amazed at his understanding and his answers. These were the best minds of Jerusalem, which would have meant that they were the best minds of Israel at that time. They had gathered in a a kind of forum 
as they would do periodically at special occasions, such as the Passover. They would come to the great temple. They would come to the place, God's house. And they would, they would exchange ideas about God. And they would have discourse and conversation about the law and the scriptures and the nature of God. And in the middle of this discussion, which not just anybody could get into, Jesus, 12 years old, is engaging them in an, Somehow it happened. We're not told how. We're given all these broad strokes. But they're shocked. The, these teachers, these scholars, these leaders are shocked. They're amazed. They're stunned at what's happening. And, and that, that, their astonishment is met by an equally astonished parents who come and find Jesus after three days. Look what happens. It says here, and so when they saw him, finally, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you, why have you done this to us? Don't you understand? Look, your father and I, we have sought you anxiously. In other words, do you understand how scared we've been? Where, what are you doing? You don't even look like you, you're concerned. It's like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Don't you understand? It was a cry of a mother's heart. It was like, you understand how scared we've been? And you seem to not care at all. Three days we've been looking for you. We had no idea where you were. What's going on? We've been looking everywhere. This is, that's that's the, the emotion there. And then, and then, by the way, do you know what follows? The first recorded words of Jesus in all the Bible right here. And he said to them, why do you seek me? Did you know that I must be about my father's business? Now, here's the deal. We can interpret. The thing about the Bible is that it leaves the interpretation of tone and nuance up to us. Now, sometimes in an exchange, you can kind of get a really good idea as to how the tone was because the reaction that is being created is sort of a reflection of what was delivered. So, but in this case, you really don't know. People have kind of speculated around this. Like, I was talking to somebody and they said, yeah, you know, Jesus, when he said this, he, was, he seemed like he was really mad, you know, or like he was correcting his mother, you know, and I said, I don't, I don't see it that way. I don't see it that way at all. I'll explain in a bit how I see this exchange occurring. But one of the things is pretty clear. He says two things. He says, one, notice, and it's the first time it's mentioned, and clearly Jesus is aware of something. What is he aware of? What does this verse tell us he is now aware of? He says, I must be about, did you know I would be about, I must be about my father's business. He's not talking about Joseph, clearly. It's the first real acknowledgement on the part of Jesus of the relationship, because again, these are the first words. Now, what's also interesting is the first words of Jesus come in what kind of a form? There are questions. It's interesting because questions would become the trademark of his teaching style. And he would use questions as, as he went on in life. He would use questions to just rip open things, unveil things, strip away the veneer. He could get to the core of places by just asking a question. He didn't always get some, I think some of his most profound teachings were in story form, the parables, and in questions. The questions that cause people to probe inwardly, that cause people to step back and look at their own heart. The questions that cause people to confront things that a straightforward answer would not always give, but a question, when it was honestly connected with, had a devastating impact. The, Jesus asks a question, and his question reveals two things. One, it reveals that he is aware 
of a relationship that he has with his heavenly father. He says, it's my father's business. Now, when did he become aware of that? How did he become aware of it? Was he like, at what age did he become aware of it? Was something shared with him? We don't know. Nobody knows. What we do know is that by this point in his life, it may have, some people think it actually happened right here at 12 years of age, that he begins to recognize the voice of Father God. But the, the issue is this. What else does he say? He not only says, my father, but he says, my father's business. But he also says, didn't you know I, and there's this word, and this word will become a word that he will use periodically. He says, I must be, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? There will come other times along the way where he will use that word. Every time he uses the word must, it implies something of a, of a sacred entrustment, like a, like a deep conviction, um, a kind of uh, compelling, almost like it, it is of necessity uh, that I do this. And so it, it, I, I'm thinking about the, this, this passionate commitment to do his father's business that he's talking about. That passionate commitment would bring him, by the way, I think we understand this, it would be his commitment, his, the holy must, that would ultimately bring him to the corridors of the cross. And it would be as he stood there approaching what he knew he was called to do, the ultimate business of becoming the very lamb that the Passover lamb represented. Jesus said, I will give my life so that you may have life through it that the ultimate deliverance as death passes over will come through the giving of my own life. That the Father has sent me. And there are, there's just this amazingly layered uh, truth that God is declaring in Christ. But what it calls Jesus to do is to approach the cross. Down, but it was always Jesus would have come to that cross. He would say, you know, again, I don't want to do this. There's a part of me that doesn't want this which is great because if there, if, it reminds us of how truly sane he was. It, it, he didn't want to suffer. He didn't want to have the indignity. He didn't want to feel spiritual separation. He had only known intimacy with the Father. He will feel separation. He, he did not want to have to walk through um, the type of physical, emotional abuse that he was about to have to walk through. He didn't want it in his natural. He didn't want it. But I was reminded of a great verse in John 12, this statement. And I'll just put it up on the screen. We'll put it up on the screen on the overhead here. It says this. It says, now my soul is troubled. Again, he's right on, on the verge of the cross. And what shall I say? Shall I say, Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have been born. This purpose, I have come, Right? It's just powerful, right? For this purpose, I have come to this hour. So I say to you, Father, would you glorify your name? And then the Bible says, and it happened so rarely, but it was like an audible voice that came from the, from the voice that said, said that it came from heaven saying, I, I, have, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Powerful moment. But what was Jesus saying? He was saying part of him wanted to run away, but the pathway of obedience was calling him into something that he didn't want to do. He didn't want to do it. It was going to lead him through the cross and ultimately bring us life. That part he wanted, the pleasure of the Father, he wanted that. To, but there was a part of him that, that didn't want. And you know, there are times, listen, 
loved ones, when the pathway of obedience is going to call us into places where part of us doesn't want to go. In fact, sometimes the pathway of obedience, as we seek to do the Father's business, is going to bring us into places of self-confrontation that we would otherwise not want to have to deal with. Or maybe there's a part of us that wants to run away, and God says, no, my way is to step into this, not away from it. A part of us says, well, they don't deserve this. We, but God is saying, yes, but this is not about deserving. This is about the grace. And have not you received my grace? Who are you to withhold it from another? There are times where the, the pathway of obedience will not always lead us into a convenient place. Anybody who tells us that following Jesus always is easy is selling us false goods. Because there are times where the cross will cost us something. It cost him something. But it is never apart from a blessing behind it that makes it worth everything that went into it. God, you know, I was thinking about the Father's business and how you and I have been called to the Father's business. And in a sense, anybody who's made a decision to follow Jesus, some of us will appreciate this more than others, but anybody who's made a decision to follow Jesus has been invited into the family business. And we are part of that business. And let me just talk about that business because Jesus, here's the thing. I want to use the term, but Jesus used it. So he uses it. And what he said about it, I think, reminds us of a couple of things. Can I just say this? The Father's business, not just kind of put a couple of things up. The Father's business is a passionate and joyful business. It is a joyful and passionate one. I hear Jesus, by the way. Remember, remember we were talking earlier about how we interpret this, this exchange that occurs between Mary and, and Jesus when she says, don't you understand? We've been looking everywhere for you. And, and again, someone said to me, yeah, it, isn't it kind of intense how Jesus corrected his mother? And he's 12. And I said, you know, I don't think that's what happened there. I said, you know what I think happened there? He's almost saying, I... She's, they're saying, we were worried sick about you. We didn't know where you were. And Jesus is saying, there's only one place I could be. In my father's house where his business is done. You know that. See how different that is? And I look at Jesus and I go, wow, Jesus had this joyful passion. I'm, I had to be about the family business. And he invites us, you and me, to live that way as well. I mean, one of the things that they could not say about Jesus was that he was an unhappy, an unhappy man. Where he went, he brought joy with him. He was a joyful lover of life. Not, not dispossessed of understanding its pain and its injustice, but he loved God as an example. He loved the Father, and he loved life and people. He was a passionate, joyful person, even here. You know what? I'm going to just say this. Spiritually, spirituality should never be sequestered into a lifeless, mundane ritual with just rules and dry ideas being done out of obligation because if that's what it is, it dies a thousand deaths. It's meant to be, Jesus said, my way is a way of life and I have come to give you life. It is to be abundant and overflowing. It is not um, 
something dry and dead, but as a living stream that when it's working right is bursting out of you, Jesus said. He says, my words, they are spirit and they are life. They have creative power. When they're working in us, he says, they will bring forth life. He was always talking about growing things, seeds planted, coming to life. I mean, it's all about life. In talking about harvest and the way God moves in people's hearts. He was about a living God who's alive, who wants to, and Jesus was a joyful man. I mean, even for us, we see him here at an early age, um, he's modeling what life is supposed to look like. Vigorous, right? He's inquisitive. He's robust. He's, he's passionate, active. There's a zest to him. There's joy, not joyless, joyful. There's all this thing, something that when it's working, when the, when the reality of God in our lives is working, and I know we're all different. I know, we're, I get it. I, we're all different. We all have different types of personalities. Uh, some of us are more exuberant than others. Some of us are more uh, careful. Some of us are more closed emotionally. That's just kind of how we were raised. It's kind of how we are com more comfortable. Some of us are really careful about revealing. Others of us are really happy all the time, but we have these moments where we can have really low times too. We're all different. That's my point. But guess what? God calls us all to live in his joy. And to know Jesus is to know, to know the joyful one. And all I can say is there are times when the Lord is present where you lose track of time. And so I get it. Jesus basically was saying, I've been so caught up in the Father's business, I just lost track of time. I forgot. I've been in it. Don't you know? Surely you know. It's powerful. But here's the secondly, second thing. Not only is the Father's business a joyful and passionate one, it's also a business that requires us to give, us, give him our best. And I look at this and I go, wow, okay. What I'm talking about, and I, I think we get this, you guys. I mean, I'm talking about how we who would follow him choose to go about representing him, how we, okay, I'm talking about how we live. I'm talking about how we talk. How, uh, the words that come out of our mouth. I'm talking about the way we work. I'm talking about the way we relate to people, especially people who God's given us to love. Talking about how we treat others. I mean, I'm talking, this, is, this is what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about, Paul, you know, the Apostle Paul said, in everything that you do, he said, don't ever forget this, do it all for the glory of God. So he was saying is that the way, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're at play, morning, evening, noon, throughout the day, all that you do, do it for the glory of God. He's talking about a fully integrated way of living, isn't he? that brings the Lord into everything that we do. And the larger point is this, that we who choose to love him and have made a decision to receive him. Some of us, not only have we acknowledged him, but we've, we followed him in the waters of baptism. We took the family name. Do you understand that? We said to him, I am more than just an admirer from afar. I am part of your family, and I am willing to be your son, and I am willing to be your daughter. I want to bear you. I, I, I have your name on me. They've, there have been moments in my life where I've looked at my sons and my daughters, and Cheryl, I have two of each, and I said, I love you. I gave you your name, and you share my name. 
and you are my son and you are my daughter. And we have a bond that we share. You understand that? That's powerful. And the Lord says the same thing to you and me. And it's almost like there are times where the Lord says, don't forget who you are. You're more than a friend and you're more than a servant. You're my son and you're my daughter. And I have business for you to be about for me. It's powerful. Remember, we're, we're not off duty when we walk out these church doors. We're not off to, out of the temple, to use the analogy. If anything, do we understand this? And again, it's outside of these walls. It's, it's when we leave the temple, to use the analogy, where the real business of the Father is also done. It's out there. It's out there on Monday. It's out there when we're interacting in our, in our circles, of our relational circles. It's out there in the workplace where it's getting tough and where it's easy to jump in on the negativity. It's out there when it's easy to criticize. It's out there. It's outside. And as followers of Jesus, oh, I might point one more thing out too. When we're on the Father's business, it's like when we realize we're a son and a, da- a daughter and we represent the Father, then it's like we're never really off duty. It's like we're always on call, but a little bit better. And that what, where it really shows up is sometimes the Lord says, I have a divine appointment for you. I have a person that I want you to meet. I'm bringing them across your path. We didn't see it coming. It was serendipitous. We had no idea. In fact, sometimes I've found that the divine appointments come when maybe I feel least prepared to have them. It's like, Lord, come on. I can't talk about you right now. I don't even feel worthy. I've, I, I have been an unfaithful. I have not been paying attention the way I've been. I haven't, what are you doing? What I'm doing is sending someone your way. Now be about my business. Be about my business. These moments that come that can alter someone's life, a word spread here, a conversation that happens, Somewhere. It requires an attentiveness. Do you know what I'm saying? Because so much of our life, we kind of live it in motion. Or we live it sort of because we're worn down. And we're not paying attention, which is an interesting phrase. We're, 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 but, but to live for Jesus is to live with open eyes. It is to have him say, you are part of a great adventure. And there are things happening that you do not see. All I want you to be is aware Seek to live with open eyes, discerning eyes. To me, one of the most powerful dynamics of Jesus' ministry was his stunning level of discernment. He saw things nobody else was seeing. Nuances, facial gestures, words that were said that no one else was hearing in the middle of a crowd. He reminds us of what it means to live close to the Father. He says, I do this because my Father is speaking to me. Here are some questions, just pushing this further on it, okay? And I'm only doing this because otherwise it's a nice thing to think about, but here's a question for all of us. Just, and again, I'm listing these quick questions. They're, I'm gonna list them, they're, they're gonna be listed so fast that we probably can't, those of us who are the, the most prolific note takers will have a hard time <laughs> capturing this. But maybe one will stand out that will capture us. And what I'm hoping will happen is that we will ponder this throughout the week, share this maybe on the ride home or in a conversation our own time with God. Maybe we pause, carve out some space, listen for the voice of the Lord. But here's the question. What is the business and the work that he is assigning to you? What is it that he wants us to be about? 
Think about it. Are there things that we sense he is asking us to do for him? Do we know what they are? If so, are we doing them? What would that look like? I am convinced that every season has unique business, that there is a unique thing that God has. Sometimes someone says, well, I, I don't know. God has this will for my life. I say, don't focus. Okay, if you can get the life, that's great. But how about just this season for starts? What is he trying to say his will is for this season of our life? And then when we throw ourselves into it, and when we do, the question will be asked, if so, with what kind of effort, what kind of quality are we putting forth? Um, I guess I'll ask the question this way. Do we pour out our best for the Father's business, or are we just giving him half-hearted compliance? You know, if he's given us something to do for him, some type of a resource, some type of a capacity, some type of a sense of, of responsibility, then what we don't want to do is just half-heartedly go through it and do it. I'm always challenging myself and the teams that are working. If we're going to serve him, then let's seek to give him our best. Not leftovers. Not half-hearted compliance. If we're going to do it, and do it. Give your, put your heart into it. Do it with a good attitude. Don't undermine the blessing of what is being done and because if it's done apathetically, half-heartedly, with casualness that could care less, really, then it's, it's not really doing what it was meant to do. It's like it's kind of like just, I'm, I'm doing it because, yeah, I know I'm supposed to. But it's not really something we care deeply about. In fact, oh, I put this, this is in the handout. It, it, says, it says this. Uh, I put this from C.S. Lewis. This is a great quote. I mean, a now, Lewis is a magnificent writer. Some of, you've read, some of us have read his books. If we haven't, he's, he's, it's awesome. The Screwtape Letters is an amazing book. Mere Christianity, absolutely profound. His books are surprised by joy. I mean, there's, he's just a great writer, a, a thinker. Uh, the Four Loves is a great book. He just, you could spend time sitting with Lewis and be so blessed. Part of the reason was, you know, he, he, was, a, he was someone who was an associate with J.R. Tolkien. They, they actually helped lead him to Christ who writes The Lord of the Rings. I mean, he's got this really interesting connections. But Lewis, who was not a believer, and was always a bit of a skeptic, says he was literally dragged into the kingdom, kicking and screaming. <laughs> Little did he know, he becomes one of the great advocates of the cause of Christ. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people have been affected by his, his writings. But he said this, Christianity, if false, listen, is of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Can't do it. Can't be it. It's one or the other. It's either false and don't waste your time, our time, or it's true and means everything. But what it cannot be is just something we dabble with. That's not what it was ever. It never can be nor should be. That's what Jesus was saying. I am about my father's business. Give the best that we have, not leftovers, not moderately, not half-heartedly. If it's worth pursuing, pursue it. Pursue it. And it doesn't mean we always get it right. We're going to have our ups and downs, but go for it. Last thing I'll say, last thing I'll say on this issue is that notice, and this, I alluded to this last week too, the Father's business is often revealed where? In the Father's house. Now, I just got through saying a lot of that business takes place outside, but I'm also going to say that a lot of stuff happens inside. Think about it. It was in the temple 
that they found Jesus. That's where they found him. Where did they find him? In the temple. That's still often where the people find him. That's why it means something, what we're doing now. Where two or three are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them. Mm. And if I may put it this way, it was in the church that the, it was in church, the temple, that, are, that the first recorded words of Jesus were uttered and declared. Hear me out. His words are still going forth from there. Indeed, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. King David, great man that he was with all of his flaws, and he had them. He said, you know what? Having been on the top, I can say that I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Rest assured, loved ones, the Father's business for us is to be, is something we are to be about. And may we throw ourselves into it. May our joy be full. At the end of our day, at the end of our day, and we understand that our day has a, a duration, because day is a metaphor of life. At the end of our day, however long it is, and none of us knows what we have left of our day, May it be said of us by the Lord. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And I'll take it one step further, basically saying this. Enter into my joy. In other words, you've made me proud. Well done. Not perfectly done. Well done. Good work. Good work. Listen, flash forward from Jesus' age of 12, two decades down the road. Jesus is in another place, Luke 9. He's preparing to head towards Jerusalem, which he knows will be the end, but it will also be the beginning. He has this experience. They call it a transfiguring experience. Hence, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration when you read about it in the Bible. In that moment, something extraordinarily, extraordinary happens to Jesus. His vision, his countenance is changed. It says it becomes gleaming white. They're stunned. And then there's this voice. Remember I told you it only happens every now and then? But the voice that came out from heaven in that moment as Jesus is preparing to enter into the final lap towards Calvary is this. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. May we hear at the end of our day, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we just want to be about your business in this life of ours. Help us, God, to pay attention to things seen and unseen. Often we forget, Lord, the great adventure of what it means to follow you and to live with you and live around you. May your words come alive in us, God. May your promises be revealed. May your path for us lead us into places that challenge us and grow us and stretch us. Just like our church is being stretched right now and so many people are stretching their faith out and we're all trying to honor you the best of our abilities. And help us, God. I know you don't look for perfect people, but you look for willing people but most of all, you want us to be your sons and daughters. And I just pray that we would live as ones who are loved by you. Live that way. 
Pray your blessing, Lord, over this word. Pray your blessing over the rest of this year. I pray your blessing over all the good days ahead. I just pray that we would walk with you all the days of our life. And I ask this, Lord, bless our time of giving. Bless this closing song, which speaks about being faithful and surrendered. And I just ask this for your grace to flow like a river. In Jesus' name, amen.